welcome to this first week in a six-week uh, series in the last book of the Bible called Revelation. And those of you who know uh, the book of Revelation, you know that we're in for a wild and wonderful ride together. And as soon as I mention uh, Revelation, uh, some of you are eager to know the answer to some questions like, who is the Antichrist? And what is the mark of the beast? And when is Jesus coming back? And of course, because of the particular season that we're in right now, you're also asking the most urgent question of all, is this the year the Chicago Cubs win the World Series? Because there's no other sign that more predicts the return of Christ. Uh, well, by the end of this uh, six weeks uh, study, you will have the answers about the Cubs. And, and, but more than that, uh, if you keep coming over these uh, six weeks, you will have a better understanding of this mysterious book of Revelation. You will have a better grasp of Jesus' message to you in this book, and you will be transformed by his call to see the unseen, because this is the message of Revelation. This book is called Revelation because it's about the risen Jesus revealing unseen realities that make it possible for his people to be true overcomers in this world. And Jesus starts this big reveal in Revelation with the seven letters that he dictates to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And that'll be the focus of our study together. So now let's go to the first of these letters in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Jesus had a message for his people, and his message came through his disciple named John. John was a fisherman until he dropped those nets and he began following Jesus. For three years, he learned from Jesus, watched Jesus perform miracles, watched Jesus give himself on the cross. And John was one of the first to the empty tomb on Easter morning. And after G John saw Jesus alive, he then took that message around the world, that good news. Now, the power people, however, did not see it as good at all. And so John was repeatedly tortured in an attempt to silence him, but he would not be silenced. And so as a last-ditch effort, they exiled John to an island called Patmos. And it was from his Patmos prison cell that Jesus appeared to him and dictated the first of seven letters to seven churches and now we're going to come to this letter that has a message for you and me today. Jesus says, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this is the message that the risen Jesus dictates to John for the church in Ephesus. And like the other six letters, Jesus writes uh, this letter uh, to and addresses it to the angel of the church. Who is the angel of the church of Ephesus? Now, some believe that this angel refers to a spiritual being who is assigned to uh, be a guardian over this church. The, the problem with this interpretation is that uh, it doesn't really make sense that Jesus would write a letter to a heavenly being and then use John on earth as the letter carrier. And so a better interpretation seems to emerge from the truth that the word angel in Greek means messenger. And so most Bible scholars believe that the angel refers to the church's human messenger, that the angel of the church is the pastor of the church. As a side note, I should mention that uh, my parents attend this church, and you may be surprised to learn this, but uh, from her parenting experience, my mother strongly rejects this notion that the pastor of her church is an angel. Uh, in fact, my mom is willing to accept any other interpretation other than this one. Uh, and if you're like her, if you reject this idea, all I got to say is that there is a mountain of evidence uh, that says that the angel is a pastor, starting with the fact that every pastor I know believes that the angel is a, a pastor. So there's just no debate about this, really. Uh, and hey, hey, just because I'm the angel of Black Rock, you don't need to treat me any differently, okay? You know, uh, I put my shirt on one wing at a time, just like any other you know, celestial being. Uh, all right, next, Jesus uh, refers uh, to himself as the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And anybody saying, what does that mean? Uh, what is all this? Uh, stars and, and, and lampstands. Uh, well, one of the great things about this book is that, first of all, Jesus speaks to us in this colorful language full of lots of symbols. Here's a, another great thing. If you read carefully, Jesus actually tells you what many, many of the symbols mean. For instance, if you look back a verse or two, uh, Jesus says in Revelation 1 verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And this is very significant because this means that as the pastor of this church, I'm not only an angel, I'm a star. See, this is just great. I'm loving this book. So uh, I'm kidding. The real message and real significance of the stars and the lampstands is that Jesus is revealing where his heart is. It's with the local church. Jesus says, yeah, I have my eyes on the princes and the presidents and the prime ministers and the parliament of this world, but my heart is with the local church. My plan for history to bring peace and joy and love and redemption and reconciliation is a plan that I'm working through the local church. Jesus says, the most important thing happening on this planet, I 
am accomplishing through my local church. That is where my heart is. That's why I cradle the stars in my hand and I linger among the lampstands of the local church. And if I'm a follower of Jesus here at Black Rock, I must share Jesus' passion for the local church, which doesn't mean just talking about how I love Black Rock. I love my church. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance to keep serving and giving of yourself, even when it, you're never thanked or even when it's, when it's really hard. That's not talk. That's a lifestyle of, yeah, giving financially and serving in the local church because this is what Jesus loves. And if I love Jesus. I'm going to love what Jesus loves. And because he is passionate about the local church, I must go beyond talk. And I must devote to BlackRock my time, my talent, and my treasure. And if I'm a BlackRock Christ follower, and that is not true of me, and I have no plans to make any, any moves in that direction, <laughs> Jesus knows and it's a serious problem in my relationship with him. It's a serious sign of a lack of love for Jesus to not be passionate about what he is passionate about. But here's something really surprising, and that is that the believers in Ephesus prove that it's also possible for me to be visibly committed to Jesus' church and still be lacking in love on the unseen level in my unseen relationship with Jesus. Jesus says to the Ephesians, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you've done at first. Jesus says that much more important than my seen actions is my unseen first love relationship with him. So let's study this concept, this concept of forsaking my first love by asking two questions. And the first question is, what is my first love? It is my first place commitment to Jesus. You know, uh, the Gospels uh, record how one day Jesus was asked a great question, which is, what's the greatest commandment of all in Scripture, and Jesus answered the question by saying that the greatest commandment is committing to a first-place love, which then results in a second-place love, where my first-place love is my commitment to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and all my strength. And then this second-place love flows from the first love, and that second-place love is my love for my neighbor, as myself. And Jesus demanded this first love from his followers for him. And not just because Jesus deserves it as creator and savior and life giver, but also because Jesus knows that when his followers give him first place love, then they're empowered and enabled to overflow with a second place love for other people that changes their hearts and changes the world. The same goes for me. 
Jesus calls me to give my first love to him because a first place relationship with Jesus teaches me a love that transforms my life and then all my other relationships. And this explains why it is such a serious thing for me to drift away from my first love for Jesus. Losing my first love for Jesus puts me in danger of losing the Garden of Eden that God desires for me. Did you catch that reference from Jesus here? Um, Jesus says, if you will come back to your first love, you will have access to the tree of life. This is one of the great things about Revelation is that it brings a lot of themes from the very beginning of the Bible, uh, full circle to the end, and here's the tree of life. And Adam and Eve uh, were told by God, feel free, enjoy the tree of life every day, keep eating from it. And this was symbolic of the paradise that flows from an unbroken relationship with God. And this tree of life was where Adam and Eve found complete contentment, total joy, perfect peace, and a heavenly harmony between each other in a perfect relationship. And Jesus says that when I make him my first love, I have the tree of life. I have everything that I am longing for in life. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, uh, if you read it, it may look like just a list of wise sayings, but actually there's There's a relationship behind it. It's the relationship between a father and a son. It's about God inspiring a father to write down wisdom designed to bless his son, uh, help him avoid uh, temptation or, uh, or pain, and to find joy and success in life. And recently, uh, I heard God inspiring me to do the same thing with my son. And so I wrote down a list of of Proverbs about coming from my experiences, sometimes painful, uh, coming from my relationship with God about what was the most important things in life necessary to be wise and experience joy and contentment. And then I shared this Proverbs project with my son over several conversations of, of really some real depth. And, uh, uh, and also we got into some things that we weren't really expecting to get into some other topics like uh, insurance. And uh, I explained how I bought life insurance uh, policies so that if I die, uh, the insurance company would pay a a lump sum of money uh, to my family. And Parker said, what kind of money are we talking about? (laughs) And I said, well, according to my policy, uh, the life insurance company pays you, mom and Kaylee, something like half a million dollars. And uh, I explained how this was an expression of my love for him, and my love for my family. He said, yeah, 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 I know that. But was that a half a million apiece? <laughs> and uh, actually, it turned out to be kind of the lowest point of this pro- Proverbs project, because uh, Parker spent the whole day talking about all the great stuff he would buy if I were to die, and he had a half a million dollars. Uh, but it did get better, uh, because, you know, not only did God inspire me to share these Proverbs with my son, I heard God calling me to complete the cycle by asking my dad to share Proverbs with me. And then God took me a step further, uh, and I acted as a scribe for my mom and dad who compiled Proverbs for my son and my daughter. And so I gave a proverb list to my son 
My dad gave a proverb list to me. Uh, my mom and dad gave a proverb list to my son and my daughter. And the, the, the topics ranged from making good decisions to choosing a career, choosing a spouse, and uh, finding real success in every area of life. But you know, all these lists had one thing in common. Each one of these proverb lists started in the same way. Each one of these proverb lists had in capital letters the first and most important proverb of all. On each proverb list, most important was this piece of wisdom that you should always, always, always make your relationship with God your first priority. Why? Because if you stay close to God, everything else good flows from that. You will be wise. You will have God's best for your life. You will be at your best in life. And you will experience joy and peace and contentment. You will have the tree of life. So now you're asking the second question, which is, how can I return to my first love? Well, Jesus gives the answer right here in our letter. Jesus says, to return to my first love, I must remember, repent, and relate. First, remember. Jesus says, remember, remember, remember how far you have fallen. And actually, this remember answers another very important question, which is, how do I know if I have left my first love? And the answer is, I know I have left my first love if I can remember a time when I followed Jesus closer and with a higher commitment. If I can remember a time when I was more intense in my desire to give my best in a relationship with Jesus, that's my first love, and Jesus wants me back. But remembering is not only a diagnostic uh, that tells me if I've left uh, that first love. Remembering is also the way I come back to my first love. I remember hearing a uh, marriage counselor say to me uh, one time that uh, he thought he could, he could save almost any marriage from the brink of destruction if they would just let him have their home movies so that he could compile a short video of their story together. And the counselor said, if this couple would just sit down with this video and relive the story of how they discovered each other, how they first started dating, the experience of their first kiss, the joy of their promises in their wedding, the birth of their kids, the, the home renovations, the special vacations, the, the times where they cared and shared for each other along the journey, if they would just remember their story together. They couldn't help but recommit to each other. How much more is this true of your story with Jesus? Right now, Jesus is bringing up in your heart a little video of your story with him about how he was with you as a child, how he was your friend when you didn't have one, how he was... They're reaching out to you 
all the time with his love and his care and protection, how he reached out to you to the extent of dying on the cross for you and how he now leads you through your day and along different adventures along the way. Jesus wants to remind you of your story with him so that you'll remember, so that you'll remember and recommit, recommit to that story again and all that's coming in the future as you give him first place in your life. So especially during our upcoming communion time, which we, where we invite every follower of Jesus to participate, remember your story with Jesus. Next, repent. Repent is a great word. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like weeping and wailing and groveling, but that's not true. It, it means to stop going in one direction and turn around. Uh, you may be asking, what does it mean for me to get back to my first love? Is it I got to whip up some feelings? Do I have to whip up some enthusiasm or something here? No. First love is not about feelings. The Greek word for repent just means metanoia, a change of mind. When I change my mind about someone and decide to reinvest my life into their, their life and my relationship with them, a lot of times it causes an increase in affection. But the decision comes first, then the feelings. When Jesus calls me to repent, he's calling me to change my mind and come back to considering our unseen relationship as more important than the stuff I see. Instead of seeing my text messages and my schedule and my hurries and my worries as more important, I stop and turn around and change my mind and decide that really what's most important in life is not these things that I see, but it's my unseen relationship with Jesus, where everything good flows from that. Finally, relate. This is what Jesus means when he says, do the things you did at first. Jesus is calling me back to a relationship. He's calling me back to relate with a childlikeness that I had at first. I must grow up in my faith, but Jesus never, never, never wants me to grow old and dusty and crusty in my relationship with him. Jesus calls me to keep relating with him out of this eternal youth and a childlike wonder that says, Jesus, you died for me. I can hardly absorb it all. I a childlike expectancy that says, you know, Jesus, I have this impossible situation. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with it. It's a childlike excitement that says, Jesus, it's a new day. What are we going to do today? Where are we going to see? What are we going to, what are we going to, who are we going to meet? And how are you going to use me today? Come back next week because we're going to talk more about this fearless life and adventure with Jesus. You know, most people, when they think of the book of Revelation, they immediately begin asking, when is Jesus coming back? I find it so interesting that Jesus actually begins this book by asking, when am I coming back? When am I coming back to my first love? Today, out of love, out of a heart of longing, and with a quiet voice, Jesus today is calling you. Jesus wants you back.